it's funny how all the things that go in to putting together a Christmas Eve service, and one of the most challenging things seems to be to remember, I know myself, to say good evening <laughs> rather than good morning. Like, you, 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 it's, it's, it's a muscle memory thing. It's just you're, you're so used to saying, good morning, welcome to New Hope, that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. So this evening, as you guys can tell, we're having a family Christmas Eve service. So what that means is, is that we have everybody here. We have kids here. Exactly. And we have, uh, and we have adults here. Yay. All right, let's try that again because I'm pretty sure the kids should be able to like get more excited than the adults on the Christmas Eve, right? The kids are here. Yeah. yeah! In fact, one of the things that we're going to do tonight for most of what we normally put as the sermon is we're actually going to read a Christmas story. And the Christmas story might actually be something that you guys are, um, uh, it's kind of uh, specifically directed towards you guys. I'm hoping that you guys will, will learn something from this story, and then I'm going to talk a little bit to everybody else uh, after we tell the story. Does that sound like a deal? Okay, so if there's any kids in the room who would like a front row seat to this story, uh, well, you guys already have you're like your second row story. If you want to move up, any kid that wants to move up, feel free to do so. In the aisle? The story, it's going to take about 20 minutes. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Very good. So. Cool. Abby, you can sit up front too. Come on up. Okay, so the story that we're going to read tonight. Mom, you can stay with her if you want to. The story that we're going to read tonight is called The Christmas Miracle of Jonathan Toomey. And um, I'll talk a little bit about why we chose this to, to read during a Christmas Eve service afterwards. Um, but uh, it's going to be kind of dramatically read by my wife, Amy, and I. So um, please enjoy The Christmas Miracle of Jonathan Toomey by Susan Week. Wojcikowski. Yeah. So. Please hold your questions and do it. The village children called him Mr. Toomey, but in fact his name was Toomey, Mr. Jonathan Toomey. And though it's not kind to call people names, this one fitted quite well, for Jonathan Toomey seldom smiled and never laughed. He went about mumbling and grumbling, muttering and sputtering, grumping and griping. He complained that the church bells rang too often, that the birds sang too shrilly, that the children played too loudly. <laughs> Mr. Toomey was a woodcarver. Some said he was the best woodcarver in the whole valley. He spent his days sitting at a wood bench, carving beautiful shapes from blocks of pine and hickory and chestnut wood. After supper, he sat in a straight-backed chair near the fireplace, smoking his pipe and staring into the flames. Jonathan Toomey wasn't an old man, but if you saw him, you might think he was. The 
way he walked bent forward with his head down. You wouldn't notice his eyes, the clear blue of an August sky. And you wouldn't see the dimple on his chin, since his face was mostly hidden under a shaggy, untrimmed beard, speckled with sawdust and wood shavings, and, depending on what he's eaten that day, crumbs of bread or a bit of potato or dried gravy. The village people didn't know it, but there was a reason for his gloom, a reason for his grumbling, a reason why he walked hunched over, as if carrying a great weight on his shoulders. Some years earlier, when Jonathan Cheney was young and full of life and full of love, his wife and baby had become very ill. And because those were the days before hospitals and medicine and skilled doctors, his wife and baby had died, three days apart from each other. So Jonathan Cheney had packed his belongings into a wagon and traveled till his tears he settled into a tiny house at the edge of the village to be with his cousin. One day in early December, there was a knock at Jonathan's door. Mumbling and grumbling, he went to answer it. There stood a woman and a young boy. I'm the widow McDowell. I'm new to your village. This is my son, Thomas, the woman said. I'm seven and I know how to whistle. Said Thomas. Whistling is uh, piss posh. I need something carved, said the woman, and she told Jonathan about a very special set of Christmas figures her grandfather had carved for her when she was a girl. After I moved here, I discovered that they were lost, she explained. I had hoped that by some miracle I would find them again, but it hasn't happened. Well, there's no such thing as miracles. Now, could you describe the figures for me? They were sheep, she told him. Two of them with curly wool. And a cow, an angel, Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus, and the wise men. Three of them, added Thomas. Will you take the job? asked the widow McDowell. I will. I'm grateful. How soon can you have them ready? They'll be ready when they're ready. But I must have them by Christmas. They mean very much to me. I can't remember a Christmas without them. Christmas is pish posh, said Jonathan gruffly, and he shut the door. The following, the, the following week, there was a knock at the woodcarver's door. Muttering and sputtering, he went to answer it. There stood the widow McDowell and Thomas. Excuse me, said the widow, but Thomas has been begging to come and watch you work. He says he wants to be a woodcarver when he grows up and would like to watch you since you are the best in the valley. I'll be quiet. You won't even know I'm here. Please, please? Piped in Thomas. With a grumble, the woodcarver stepped aside to let them in. He pointed to a stool near his workbench. No talking, no, no jiggling, no noise, ordered Thomas. The widow McDowell handed Mr. Cheney a warm loaf of cornbread as a token of thanks. Then she took out her knitting and sat down in a rocking chair in the far corner of the cottage. Not there. Not there. No one sits in that chair. So she moved to the straight-backed chair by the fire. Thomas. Once, when he needed to sneeze, he pressed a finger under his nose to hold it back. Once, when he wanted desperately to scratch his leg, he counted to 20 to keep his mind off the itch. After a very long time, Thomas cleared his throat and whispered, uh, uh, Mr. Toomey, may I ask a question? The woodcutter glared at Thomas, then shrugged his shoulders and grunted. Thomas decided it meant yes, so he went on. 
is, is, that, is that my sheep you're carving? So the carver nodded and grunted again. After another very long time, Thomas whispered, Mr. Toomey, excuse me, you're carving my sheep wrong. The widow McDowell's knitting needles stopped clicking. Jonathan Toomey's knife stopped carving. Thomas went on. It's a beautiful sheep, nice, curly, but my sheep looked happy. That's pish posh. Uh, sheep are sheep that cannot look happy. Well, mine did. Um, they knew they were with the baby Jesus, so they were happy. After that, Thomas was quiet for the rest of the afternoon. When the church bells chimed six o'clock, Mr. Toomey grumbled under his breath about the awful noise. The widow McDowell said it was time to leave. Thomas sneezed three times, then thanked the woodcarver for allowing him to watch. That evening, after a supper of cornbread and boiled potatoes, the woodcarver sat down at his bench. He picked up his knife. He picked up the sheep. He worked until his eyelids grew puffy. A few days later, there was a knock at the woodcarver's door. Griping and grumbling, he went to answer it. There stood a widow and her son. May I watch again? I will be quiet. He settled himself on the stool very quietly while his mother laid a basket of sweet-smelling greens and buns on the table. The teapot is warm, Mr. Toomey said gruffly, his head bent over his work. While Mr. Toomey carved, the widow McDowell poured tea. She touched the woodcarver gently on the shoulder and placed a cup of tea on the bun next to him. He pretended not to notice, but soon both the plate and the cup were empty. Thomas tried to eat the bun his mother had given him as quietly as he could, but it is almost impossible to be seven and eat a warm, sticky raisin bun without making various smacking, licking, satisfied noises. <laughs> when Thomas had finished, he tried to sit quietly. Once he almost hiccuped, but he took a deep breath and held it till his face turned red. And once without thinking, he began to swing his legs, but a glare from the woodcarver stopped him, and he kept them so still and fell. After a very long time, Thomas whispered, Mr. Toomey, <clears throat> excuse me, may I ask a question? <clears throat> Is that my cow you're carving? Mm-hmm. Another very long time went by. Then Thomas cleared his throat and said, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Toomey, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but I have to tell you something. That is a beautiful cow. Uh, most beautiful cow I've ever seen, but it's not quite right. See, my cow looked proud. That's pish posh. Cows are cows. They cannot look proud. Well, my cow did. Um, it, it, it knew that Jesus chose to be born in his barn, so he was proud. Thomas was quiet for the rest of the afternoon. The only sounds that could be heard were the scraping of the carving knife, the humming of the widow McDowell, and the click-click of her knitting needle. When the church bells chimed six o'clock, Mr. Toomey muttered under his breath about the noise. The widow McDowell said it was time to leave. Thomas shook first one leg, then the other. He thanked the woodcarver for allowing him to watch. That evening, after a supper of boiled potatoes and raisin buns, the woodcarver sat down at his bench. He picked up his carving knife. He picked up the cow. He worked until his eyelids grew days later, there was a knock at the woodcarver's door. He smoothed down his hair as he went to answer it. At the door were the widow and her son. May I watch again? Asked Thomas. 
As Mrs. McDowell warmed the tea and put a plate of fresh molasses biscuits on the workbench, Thomas watched the woodcarver work on the figure of an angel. After a very long time, Thomas spoke. Mr. Toomey, excuse me, is that my angel you're carving? Yes, um, and would you do me the favor of telling me exactly what I'm doing wrong? Well, my angel looked like one of God's most important angels um, because it was sent to the baby Jesus. And just how does one make an angel look important? You'll be able to do it. You're the best woodcarver in the valley. After another very long time, Thomas spoke. Mr. Toomey, may I ask another question? Do you ever stop talking? My mother says I don't. She says I could learn a lot about the virtue of silence from you. The widow McDowell's face turned as red as the scarf she was knitting. Well, speak up. What's your question? Uh, would you please teach me to carve? Well, I'm a, I'm a very busy man, grumbled the woodcarver. But <clears throat> he put down the important angel. You will carve a bird. A robin, I hope. I like robins. With a piece of charcoal, the woodcarver sketched a robin on a piece of brown paper. He handed Thomas a small block of pine and a knife. He showed him how to lock the corners in the block and slowly smooth the edges of the wood into curves. Thomas copied the woodcarver's strokes, head bent, tongue working from side to side of his lower lip as he concentrated. When the church bells chimed six o'clock, Jonathan Toomey was holding Thomas's hand in his, guiding the knife along the edge of a ring. He didn't hear them ringing. The widow McDowell said it was time to leave. Thomas brushed wood shavings from his shirt. Then he reached out and brushed two especially large pieces of wood shavings from Jonathan Toomey's beard. He thanked the woodcarver for teaching him how to carve. Later, after a supper of boiled potatoes and molasses biscuits, Jonathan Toomey went to his workbench. He thought for a long time. He sketched drawing after drawing. Finally, he picked up his carving knife. He picked up the angel. He carved until his eyelids A few days later, there was a knock on the woodcarver's door. Mr. Toomey jumped up to answer it. There stood the widow McDowell with a bouquet of pine branches and holly sprigs dotted with berries. And there stood Thomas, clutching his partly carved robin. While Thomas and Mr. Toomey carved, Mrs. McDowell put the branches in a jar of water. She scrubbed Mr. Toomey's kitchen table and set the jar in the center on a pretty cloth embroidered with lilies of the valley and daisies, which she found in a drawer below the cupboard. Next, I will carve the wise men and Joseph, the woodcarver said to Thomas. Uh, perhaps before I, forget, before I begin, you'll tell me about all the mistakes I'm going to make. Uh, well, <clears throat> said Thomas, my wise men were wearing their most wonderful robes because they were going to go visit Jesus. And my Joseph was leaning over baby Jesus like he was protecting him, and he looked very serious. It wasn't until the church bells had chimed and the widow and her son were preparing to go that Mr. Toomey saw the jar of pine branches and the scrubbed table and the cloth embroidered with the leaves of the valley and daisies. I found the cloth in a drawer. I thought it would look pretty on the table, the widow McDowell said, smiling. Never open that drawer, the woodcarver said harshly. When the two had left, Jonathan put the cloth away. That evening, after a supper of boiled potatoes, the woodcarver worked on Joseph and the wise men until his eyelids.
few days later, there was a knock on the wood carver's door. He dusted the crumbs from his beard and brushed the sawdust from his shirt. At the door were the wood and the dowel and Thomas. All afternoon, Thomas watched the wood carver work. When it was time to leave, Jonathan said to Thomas, I'm about to begin the last two figures, uh, Mary and the, the baby. Uh, can, can you tell me how your figures look? Well, they were the most special of all. Jesus was smiling, and he was reaching up to his mother, and Mary looked like she loved him very much. Well, thank you, Thomas. Smiley friends, is there any chance the figures will be ready? The widow and Dowell asked. They'll be ready when they're ready. Smiley friends, said the widow, and she handed Jonathan two parcels. Merry Christmas, she said. Jonathan folded his arms across his chest. I want no presents. Jonathan sat down at the table. Slowly, he opened the first parcel. Inside was a red scarf, hand-knitted, warm and bright. He tied the scarf around his neck. The other parcel held a robin, crudely carved of pine. A smile twitched at the corner of Jonathan's mouth as he ran his fingers over the lopsided wings. He dusted the mantelpiece with his sleeve and placed the robin exactly in the center so he could look at it from his chair. The woodcarver did not eat supper that day. Instead, he began to sketch the final figures, Mary and Jesus. He drew Mary, then crumpled the sketch into a ball and tossed it on the floor. He drew the baby, crumpled the sketch into a ball and tossed it with the first. He sketched again. Once more, he crumpled the paper. Soon, there was a small mountain of crumpled papers at his feet. He picked up a block of wood and tried to carve, but his knife would not do what he wanted it to do. He hurled the chunk of wood into the fireplace and sat, staring into the flames. When he heard the church bells announcing the midnight Christmas service, he got up. Slowly, he opened the drawer beneath the cupboard, the drawer he had told the widow in the library to open. From it, he took the cloth embroidered with lilies of the valley and daisies. He took out a rough woolen shawl and a lace handkerchief. He took out a tiny white baby blanket and a little pair of blue socks. He placed each gently on the floor. From the bottom of the drawer, he lifted out a suspicion, beautifully carved of deep brown poplar wood. In the frame was a charcoal sketch of a woman sitting in a rocking chair, holding a baby. The baby's arms were reaching up, touching the woman's face. The woman was looking down at the baby, smiling. Jonathan sat down in his rocking chair and held the picture against his chest. He rocked slowly, his eyes closed. Three tears trailed into his beard. When he finally took the picture to his workbench and began to carve, his fingers worked quickly and surely. He carved all through the night. The next day, there was a knock on the door. Oh, on the widow McDowell's door. When she opened it, there stood the woodcarver, his neck wrapped in a red scarf, holding a wooden box stuffed with straw. Mr. Toomey, said the widow, what a surprise! Merry Christmas! The figures are ready, he said as he stepped inside. From the box, Jonathan unpacked the two curly sheets, half each. 
because they were with Jesus. He unpacked a proud cow and an angel, a very important angel, with mighty wings stretching from its shoulders right down to the hem of its gown. He unpacked three wise men wearing their most wonderful robes, edged with fur and falling in rich folds. He unpacked a curious and caring virgin. He unpacked Mary wearing a rough golden shawl dripping down, loving her precious baby son. Jesus was smiling and reaching up to touch his mother's face. That day, Jonathan went to the Christmas service with the widow of Zion and Thomas. And that day in the churchyard, the village children saw Jonathan Dreamy throw back his head, showing his eyes as clear blue as an August sky. No one ever called him Mr. Dreamy. The end. Well done, Dave. So, my wife has this incredible talent for reading stories, and we hear the, a lot of them in our home. Um, so, that was one of the things that made me want to um, incorporate a story into our Christmas Eve service. Um, but the thing that struck me, the thing that made it come alive for me more than anything else was like how did you feel when Jonathan Toomey opened the drawer beneath the cupboard and used that charcoal sketch of the woman sitting in a rocking chair holding a baby to give him the inspiration he needed to carve Mary and the baby Jesus now because we knew that we would all be together tonight I knew several months ago that I wanted to incorporate a story into the family Christmas Eve service something that could speak to both Chris kids and adults. Um, when I got to that page in the story, I knew that I had found the right one. Although the story never specifically says it, my assumption is that the charcoal sketch was an image of Mr. Toomey's wife and son, whom he had lost years earlier. And I felt this a tremendous swell of emotion when he got to that point in the story. I felt tears on my face because I knew that this was striking a very important thing that we need to pay attention to around Christmas. Now, hold on to that thought, or more importantly, hold on to that feeling. So, for the past year, we've been studying uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's letter that's called 1 Corinthians. Um, another one of Paul's letters, which is perhaps one of the earliest letters that we have in the New Testament, is called Galatians. Uh, the letter to the Galatians is a very passionate letter. Uh, in fact, in parts of it, Paul actually gets a little angry. And he's angry because he desperately wants to communicate the fact that God's love for us is so perfect that it needs to be on his terms, not ours. God's love for us is so perfect that um, it, it needs not only to be on his terms, but in his time. And that makes us angry sometimes, doesn't it? Because we want things, and we want them now. For instance, some of you here tonight might be wishing that it's already tomorrow morning. <laughs> See? Sometimes we pray and we ask God for to do the thing that we think it's the right time. We think it's the right time, but the thing is, God is God. And God's love for us is so perfect that He's always going to do things in the timing that he knows is right. And sometimes that can be a hard pill to swallow. 
Paul says in Galatians. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as his children. That phrase, the fullness of time, could also mean at just the right time or in God's timing. You see, when we talk about the miracle of Christmas, when we talk about baby Jesus and lying in the manger, we're talking about how just at, at just the right time, God acted in history. There's lots of things about that time period in history, about the, the days of the Roman Empire that we could go into. The Roman Empire had a, had a control over a good bit of the world at that time, including Judea, where this story takes place. In fact, you'll learn about all that in history in school, so actually pay attention. We won't get into that tonight, but to, suffice, to say, suffice it to say, at just the right time, God acted in history. The funny thing was, God didn't step into history as some kind of mighty conquering warrior or triumphant king. No, God sent his son born of a woman. Now, how many of you here tonight were born of a woman? Many, many, good, good. See, so you actually have something in common with Jesus. Um, He was a baby, just like you. He was a kid, just like you. He played with his friends, and Jesus scraped his knees. He grew up, and he became a teenager with all of that fun stuff stuff that happens to us when we become teenagers. And eventually, you'll find out. Eventually, he grew up to become an adult. He was a man. He had a beard. Speaking of beards, back to the story of Jonathan Toomey. Yeah, see, Mr. Toomey used the image of his wife and his son as an inspiration to carve Mary and Jesus. Think about how hard it must have been for him to open that drawer. He slowly removed the items that had belonged to his wife and son and eventually got to the bottom where he found the charcoal sketch. I bet he felt very sad at first because, of course, it reminded him of his family. But then maybe he felt a bit of joy because he remembered how happy they had made him. And then he used those emotions, that joy mixed with that pain, to carve Mary and Jesus. And ultimately, it, it helped him start a new day. Our stories don't wrap up in such neat little packages like that, of course. The pain and joy that we brought with us tonight will still be with us tomorrow. But that's why I titled this sermon, The Fool Miracle. Hopefully we can be reminded this night of the arrived King Jesus, the one sent to redeem, reconcile, and restore. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted that story, the the story of the king in a manger, well, I welcome you to bring your pain and your joy and make that fresh start tonight. I welcome you to trust redemption, trust reconciliation, trust restoration to God. And while all of that will happen on God's terms, not ours, and in God's timing, not ours, we trust that he is moving, that he is acting on this silent, holy night. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Father, for your incredible faithfulness to us throughout this past uh, Christmas season, throughout this um, Advent season, throughout this year. Um. I pray uh, uh, just a prayer of thanksgiving for my friends that are in this room, 
um, I pray that, uh, that you would speak the words that you want to speak to them. That whatever it is that they need to hear, whatever it is that you'd whisper in their hearts, that they would quiet their souls in a way that hears your whisper, that hears your soft voice pushing them in a particular direction towards you, seeking your kingdom, towards peace and restoration and redemption and reconciliation. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.